Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody, and happy MLB opening day. It is finally here. It is a Thursday on the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK. Brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Steve joining us soon from the Sunbury Motors studios. It is a happy MLB opening day today. Big news coming down for the Nationals, the World Champion Nationals, opening things up against the Yankees tonight at 7 o'clock. No Juan Soto. He has tested positive for COVID-19. So that's a big loss for the Nationals. But for the Yankees, their opening day lineup is out. It's Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, Giancarlo Stanton, Brett Gardner, Gary Sanchez, Luke Voigt, Gio Urshela, Tyler Wade, Garrett Cole on the mound against Max Scherzer tonight. Should be a really good pitching matchup. No DJ LeMayhew, notably in the lineup for the Yankees, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. So that's the first game. Second game. Rivalry renewed, Dodgers-Giants, first game in as the Giants manager for former Phillies manager Gabe Kapler. Yeah, I believe, that. There's, I believe that uh, the way I understand it is it's going to be Shearza and Cole tonight, then Kershaw for the Dodgers, and Kapler, I think, is starting his shortstop, and then he's going to bring in a second <laughs> baseman. That sounds about yeah, right. He's just got, and in fact, each position player gets to pitch an inning, because analytics says that's the best way to do it. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> but happy app opening day, Steve. Ay, ay, ay. Unbelievable. Yes, happy opening day. Uh, I'm glad it's finally here. Uh, Juan Soto will not play tonight, by the way. So just so you know, Juan Soto is out of tonight's game. He did test positive for the Nationals. So that will be obviously something that will come into play. This is not going to be an unusual occurrence. Uh, but they're going to play. Um, and uh, move forward. Now here at Penn State, I believe uh, you probably have the story in the news that there was a student athlete that did test positive here at Penn State. Uh that student athletes going into 14-day isolation, isolation, 14-day quarantine. Let's use a better word: 14-day quarantine. And the um, uh, and they're doing some contact tracing just to make sure whatever the contact happens to be. All right. Now let's answer the question that may be coming to mind of some people out there. They haven't said what sport it is. 
right? They haven't said what sport it is. So you're not going to get that. But my understanding is is that it is not a football or men's basketball player. Evidently this evidently it is one one of the uh female student athletes, okay? That that's our understanding of it, okay? Here at Penn State. All right. So we'll make sure that you know that. Uh, they're not pausing any football. It's transitioning tomorrow into um, into the next phase, which they're allowed to. In, in the next phase, let's see, basket, men's basketball, as we pointed out earlier, men's basketball has already gone into their next phase. They started on Monday where they're allowed four hours of on-court time. Uh and they started that on Monday. The temperature that you are allowed to have to enter uh, uh, the building of the Jordan Center to practice, I believe, is 100.7 or something like that, I believe. Oh, let's see. I want to make sure I have this right and that it's accurate. Um, let's see what's the number that's needed here. Bing, 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 bing. Uh, 100.3. So if it's anything 100.3 or higher, they, they can't let you in. Okay? So 100.3 or higher. So that's the number. Uh, that's one. Men's basketball made a transition. They're doing on-the-floor workouts this week. They get four hours a week on the court. They're doing that. Football is allowed to transition tomorrow. So this is the two-week minicamp, so this is how it works. The two-week minicamp looks like this. You're allowed to get up to 20 hours of football-related activity per week. Right? You can't do more than four hours a day. You can't do that. So this is what you're limited to. Okay? You get, among that 20 hours, you get six hours for meetings, you know, film review, team meetings, position meetings, one-on-one meetings. For example, they had a team meeting. It didn't count in the 20 hours for next week, but they had a team meeting last night, uh, for example. My source was very good, by the way. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, so you get six hours of uh, meetings per week starting next week. You're going to get six hours of walkthrough. Uh, no helmets, no pads, and you can use a ball. All right? No helmets, no pads, but you can use a ball. Six hours of walkthrough as their minicamp. And then you get eight hours of weight training and conditioning. So that's how the 20 hours is made up. Now, okay, this is two weeks, 14 days. You have to have a day off. You have to have two days off, one each week. All right? So that's how that works. So that, that's the breakdown on how the 20 hours works. And then you you go from there. So I don't I don't know how well that I don't think in fact I don't even think I explained that until now. But that's what it is. 
Okay. And as we mentioned, Juan Soto tested positive. He is out of the lineup. How long he's out? Is he out seven days, 14 days, whatever? But uh, he will not play tonight for the Nationals. And Gabe Kapler's analytics told Gabe that it would be best to uh, start a member of the grounds crew tonight on the mound. Analytics said that's the best way to do it. And after 68 pitches on opening day, has to come out. Oh, wait, that was the Aaron Nola rule. Sorry, I got confused. Did you hear I'm flying out tonight to pitch for the Giants? I don't don't doubt it. (laughs) Don't doubt it. Ah. What can I say? What can I say? Dodgers outright tonight. Huh? Dodgers outright tonight. I would say that um, it's it's more than just that. Um, is that the um, when it look when it comes to analytics? I think they're starting Tim Lincecum tonight, right? Um, when it comes to analytics, analytics are invaluable and an incredibly useful tool. But you make a if you do everything by gut feeling, you're making a major mistake. And if you do everything by analytics, you're making a major mistake. You have to have a combination of both that allows you to substantiate what you're doing out there. You know, maybe some numbers to back up your thought process on on anything. Um, but that's. To me, if you do everything like, I don't need any of that, you're making a mistake. If you are doing everything based on the numbers, you're making a big mistake as well. It's where a guy like Joe Girardi, I think, is going to be invaluable for the Phillies. I think it's going to be invaluable. So, and and I think Girardi is going to be invaluable in this sixty-game sprint. You just feel like you got a steady hand at the helm that knows what he's doing. No, he's not going to be perfect. He's not going to be perfect. And we're going to talk to Chris Mack in the next half hour about. The Pirates. I mean, do you realize the Pirates in the three summer camp games went 0-3? You combine that with what they did in spring training. Do you know what the Pirates' record is so far in games that don't count? 3-24. and Wow. That's uh, then there's this story.
the Seattle hockey team now has a nickname, the Seattle Kraken. They have a logo. So they have no skates, no sticks, no players, no coach, but they have a nickname and a logo. 3,000 miles to the east, an 87-year-old franchise has no name. And they got some problems. They, I mean, they have, there's been a lot of talk that Red Wolves happens to be and people have talked about I think Red Wolves would be a, actually a terrific nickname to be honest with you but Arkansas State is the trademark and they've had a trademark since 2008 They were the Indians at one point when Penn State played Arkansas State in Albuquerque in basketball. At the pit, they were the Indians. When they were going to play Penn State in 2008 football at Beaver Stadium, they were still the Indians. It was their last year using it. And Joe Paterno thought he was going to have a really good team that year. He said, "Look, we we need to get ourselves into the national championship race. I need I need more. Uh, I need a tougher schedule. So they bought out Arkansas State, and they convinced Mike Riley to do a one-off and make the trip from Corvallis and Penn State played Oregon State, and ran them out of Beaver Stadium. Ran them out, and it turned out Oregon State was a really good team. Oregon State." Uh, Oregon State, in fact, was one game away from having a rematch with Penn State in the Rose Bowl. That's how good they ended up being that year. But Arkansas State was the team they replaced. They never played the game. Obviously, Penn State bought them out, and they were still the Indians at that point. They then transitioned over to Red Wolves. They trademarked it. They have the trademark on it. But here's the complication on it. It's not just simple, hey, let's make a phone call. Here's some cash. We're done. Tennessee Chattanooga, which has been the moccasins, wants to go with Red Wolves. And now Arkansas State is in court with Tennessee Chattanooga. Well, that that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem. So right now they're the Washington Football Club. I mean, do we know yet from Roger what he prefers? Uh, no, we still haven't yet. I'll have to text him. We may have to have a press conference. <laughs> okay. So. That's... Uh, so those are some of the stories. I, I want to get back uh, also to this very quickly. Uh, I mentioned that before the week was out, it was my opinion, my understanding that Maryland football would be back working out again. I said that early in the week, right? 
Today, Maryland went back to working out again. Indiana is still out. Michigan State, though, Michigan State had one staff member test positive, so they decided that they'll pause while they just do contact tracing just to make sure, and then they'll make a decision moving forward. Okay? Might as well talk about stuff nobody else talks about. I figure the audience is better off for it. Great to have you with us on the show today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Best selection of brand new inventory and great pre-owned inventory. Fabulous sales staff, great service department, take care of the life of that vehicle. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. See some uh, rain and some storms rolled through Sunbury in the last hour or so. That is okay. correct. We had a big downpour in our backyard here. All right. There we go. Um, I know a little bit later we'll have our play-by-play call of the day. Um, coming up tomorrow will be a special play-by-play call of the day. Because tomorrow would be Christmas Eve in July. All right. I'm excited for this one. And since tomorrow's the 24th, and of course everybody talks about Christmas in July, July 25th. All right. So tomorrow would be Christmas Eve in July. Well, this, of course, we're not on Saturday, despite incredible demands. Uh, we have a special play by play holiday version tomorrow at 4.06. I think you'll find it intriguing and to the point. I think that would be fair to say, right, Matt? Yes, absolutely. Hmm. All right. I was just recently on his show, and so returning the favor and returning to our show is Chris Mack from Pittsburgh. Chris, welcome back. Great to hear you again, bud. Doing well, Steve. How are you guys? Doing great. Doing great. Good. Uh, I want to start with the uh, uh, formerly known as the Pittsburgh Blue Jays. Um <laughs> Uh, how surprised were you that suddenly out of nowhere it ended? Uh, I don't know if I was I, – I, given what we had heard, what, 36 hours ago or, or so, um, I was I was more shocked that it got to the point that it did okay. without somebody 
getting approval from the state because we know how the state government has been they've been pretty restrictive with things they're trying to do their best in a lot of cases and uh you know I, and i'll be honest without getting political I, I think they've done a lot of things right um and so i haven't been necessarily on board with a lot of the bashing of governor wolf and dr levine that's gone on but in this case in particular what i didn't understand was uh, that it got to the point that it did, that it, seemingly two Major League Baseball franchises, as well as Major League Baseball itself, uh, the county executive in Allegheny County, Rich Fitzgerald, the mayor, Bill Peduto, for the city of Pittsburgh, had all seemingly looked at everything and said, hey, we can make this work. And then it finally got around to the state looking at it and saying, mm, no, you guys put together a decent plan, but we don't think it's going to work for us. That's what that's what surprised me. And and I think the fact that it would have put maybe a handful of people back to work uh, in western Pennsylvania, um, that reward um, would have been worth what I think is a pretty well-mitigated risk because you're talking about some of the most commonly tested people in the world right now and whether we're, we're talking Blue Jays or visiting AL and NL East teams and right. the fact that all of their livelihoods depend on them following the strictest of protocols right now. Um, so it was, I felt like a suburban dad. I wasn't mad. I was just disappointed. Uh, the way I looked at it was this. I think the state, the state had a great technicality working for them. It's because it's a foreign-owned company. And as a foreign-owned company, they could tell them they couldn't play here. Yeah, and, and, and I'd be curious. You know, we, we discussed it a bit on our show this morning, although we didn't get too deep into this, this yeah. vein of thought. But I, I, I'd be curious to know, you know, was there any recourse for the city of Pittsburgh and Allegheny County? Because they would have made money off of this. You know, I imagine the Blue Jays would have paid the Sports and Exhibition Authority of Allegheny County rent. Um, that being said, uh, I, I don't think because they're of the same political affiliation – I don't know if the mayor and the county executive had the appetite for, for going into that sure, scrum right. with, with the governor. Uh, my understanding was that Toronto was so confident in this, they started asking uh, their fans to make uh, some donations to Pittsburgh area charities, which they did. <laughs> I hadn't heard that part, but it's fantastic. Um, but, it, but, I mean, we know the players were being told, hey, you're going to be in Pittsburgh. Be prepared after uh, they're headed to um, – uh, and forgive me, I can't. St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg. Uh, yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it, after the Tampa series, they were fully expecting to come to Pittsburgh. Uh, or at the very least, after the Washington series, the, the second half of it, I guess, which all of them would have been played in Washington, they were fully prepared to come to Pittsburgh. And um, that that's the most interesting part to me, that, again, it got that far down the road yeah. that Blue Jays players were being told, hey, be prepared to go to Pittsburgh but that no one had gotten the, the sign-off from the Commonwealth. Uh, we've, uh, we've had summer camp games. The last one was last night, uh, untelevised, uh, as they played. So I don't even know if they won. Did they win last They did night? not. They did not. Winless in summer camp and 3-21, and I think, in uh, all uh, spring training 1.0 and 2.0 games combined. So... Uh, not exactly uh, barnstorming around Florida uh, and Eastern Ohio and Western PA. You're so negative. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they start zero and zero Friday night. Uh, True, so... and I think you know I, I've I've tried to to find the silver lining 
in the clouds. Um, you know, Josh Bell, there, there's always an opportunity to look like the Josh Bell of the first half last year. Uh, even with Gregory Polanco out, whether it's just a few more days or another week or so, we don't know. Uh, depends how his, his coronavirus tests come back and uh, assuming he stays asymptomatic. Um, that, you know, even with him out, Colin Moran has looked really good, whether we're talking yeah. about games that were played in Florida in February and mm-hmm. March or games that were played in Pittsburgh and Cleveland uh, this week. Uh, and Musgrove and Williams, I, I think you can have some confidence in the fact that those yeah. guys are going to give you a decent outing I more often that, than yeah. not. I thought they looked good, uh, the, yeah. the, the games I watched. I thought they looked pretty good. The, the, the downside of all of that is that I get the, the sinking feeling that none of it matters if the bullpen can't figure itself out. Right. And, uh, and even if Keone Kell is able to come back in the next week or two, um, the, w- what's left at the back end of the bullpen, either with Kella closing or without Kella closing, is a lot of feels like uh, uh, MacGyver stuff, duct tape and chicken wire, and, and trying <laughs> to piece things together from the sixth right. inning to the ninth if they have leads. And I think that's what a lot of people are worried about. Kyle Crick really didn't look good in these exhibition outings, giving up multiple home uh, multiple home runs, or giving up a home run last night, I should say, and blocking the first two guys you faced the other night. Richard Rodriguez giving up uh, home runs, um, all the kind of stuff that plagued those guys when they haven't been at their best as Pirates. It, it's, a, it's a real plus when you have multiple guys that are really good candidates to DH. I also think it's a minus when you have a lot of guys that are really great candidates to DH because they're not good enough in the field. Right. <laughs> the Pirates have that. They're, I mean, Josh Bell and Colin Moran are both great <laughs> guys that you'd like to have be your DH and you don't really want them in the field. Well, and you could say the same for once he's healthy, Gregory Polanco. Yeah, too, for that Polanco's matter. the um, same way, yeah. That's yeah, how I was, that's so how I was, ta- I, I was talking to somebody about Alec Bone uh, earlier this mm-hmm. week, Dan Baker, who does the PA down there. And he said, what do you think of Alec Bone as a player? Because obviously I, I did enough games of uh, Alec playing at Williamsport. I said, love his back, great bat. I said, he's got to be a first baseman or a DH. I said, because as a third baseman, He's so big, he just can't bend down to get the ball. The ball's quick enough because the combination of trying to run there and then bend down to get it, it's it's you know, he's too stiff to do that. But as a first yeah. baseman or DH, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, and, and you could say a lot of the same things about Moran. Kyle I know Moran. he's worked on it a lot this offseason. Yep. Derek Shelton's talked about it nonstop. But I think ultimately, once Cabrian Hayes is up to speed, uh, and gets called up from Altoona, which I imagine will probably happen, you know, a couple weeks in. Mm-hmm. Um, Hayes will get maybe not the majority of starts at third, but he'll get time at third. Sure. And Moran will fill in. Will will be a, a DH more often than not, I would think. Um, when he's not DHing, you know, maybe he gets uh, some time at first. It's going to be a lot of juggling between the corners. Uh, those two corners and right field. Uh, I, I get the feeling um, when you start to mix Polanco back in as well. I mean, it, it's it's not ideal, like you said, to not have uh, one guy that you feel like you can plug in every single day at DH uh, because you've got multiple guys whose gloves you don't necessarily trust. Um, but they're doing their best, I think, between you know moving Moran around a little bit, putting him at DH, sure. plugging Bell and Polanco in at DH from time to time, and then moving Cole Tucker around, um, giving him some looks in the outfield. Uh, they're doing their best, I think, and this is what I like about Derek Shelton, is I don't get the sense that his moving people around and trying to find position flexibility is born of as much desperation as it was from Clint Hurdle the last couple of years as it is 
he's just genuinely interested in seeing what these guys can do. And that's what I think we, we keep forgetting because we were just so excited to get baseball back and 60-game sprint and all that is that for the Pirates this year, it really is for the first calendar year from the time Ben Charrington and Derek Shelton got their jobs all the way through to next winter, it's going to be about evaluation of the organization. Sure what do they have and what pieces do they want to keep moving forward? And of the pieces that they don't think they can keep moving forward, what can they get in return? When we talk about guys like Kella, if he comes back, uh, Frazier, you know, that's, that's where they've got to start to consider uh, with the future. And, and I know that's not exciting in a division where it feels like four teams are in contention. You'd love them to be the fifth team. Uh, and in a 60-game sprint, you'd love to believe that anything's possible. But this really is. It's 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 a, an extended evaluation period, really. Uh, I don't know how much, if any, contact you've had with Derek Shelton, but uh, I know we had Greg Brown on the show, and Greg Brown said he can't be any more down-to-earth. Uh, what yeah. kind of contact have you guys had with him? What's been at least your first impression of Derek Shelton, the guy? Because, I mean, we're not going to know about Derek Shelton, the manager, for a long time. You know, it's been tough just because of the situation, Steve, to be honest. Uh, we didn't get to go down to everything hit, the shutdown sure. hit the week we were supposed to go down to Florida uh, and spend a week down there at, at um, Lecom Park. Uh, so, you know, other than his introductory press conference and getting to meet him there uh, in a couple of the Zoom meetings, you know, yeah. that they have now. Yeah, but, but I will say this, you know, even via those limited interactions, uh, I'll second what Brownie said and that he is. He's terrifically down-to-earth, very easy to speak to. Um, Clint Hurdle, I think, was the right kind of guy for the Pirates when they hired him yeah. and to get them to the point that he got them in 2015. But I think very quickly, because of the style of manager and motivator that he is, those messages wore off. It's kind of like, a, you know, I'll use a college football coach as an example. They can keep the same motivational uh, and management structure in place for decades at, at times because, well, they've got new sets of faith, fresh faces to talk right. to every three or four years. Um, and, and Clint, it, it just wasn't getting through to some of the more veteran guys especially. They weren't buying into it. Shelton is much more down-to-earth. Um, it reminds me of more of a, a Mike Tomlin type uh, of leader in that he's going to talk to the guys like they're just regular guys like him and he's a regular guy and it's not going to be as much of the you know the motivational posters on the wall or the 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 texts every morning to remind them uh, of some sort of uh, motivational speech or quote it's going to be hey we love playing ball show up to the park let's work hard and play ball together and that, and that i think is is good for a bunch of young guys especially some of whom are trying to be uh, are trying to find their feet as leaders. You know, Josh Bell, Joe Musgrove, those kinds of guys who they don't need the manager to come in and police the clubhouse necessarily. It's up to them now to do that. Yeah, uh, look, the Pirate. They'll, look, they'll start zero and zero. Three and twenty-one doesn't matter. Zero and three does so. Three and twenty-four doesn't matter because suddenly they could get out of the gate, take two out of three from St. Louis, and be off and running. What do you think? I mean, look, everybody has to do this. What are, what are your thoughts, though, on a 60-game sprint? I think, it's, it, I, I think it should benefit teams that, I guess, don't quote-unquote know any better, and maybe you could classify the Pirates as a team like that. True. Um, I think if they had the talent to match up with that, um, it would be great. If they got Josh Bell's first half and Brian Reynolds, uh, you know, July and August, and Kevin Newman's July and August, 
uh, and, and they got all of that during the 60-game sprint. And you think about peak Trevor Williams and peak Phil Musgrove. If they got everybody's peak for 60 games, they'd be right there with the other four teams in the Central. I don't doubt it for a second uh, in the mix. The, the problem for them, again, comes down to it, it's, a, it's a house of cards in some cases in that if you pull one card out, you get one less than optimal performance, and it feels like maybe the whole thing won't come tumbling down, but it'll, it'll fall to pieces enough that again in this division with four teams that I think are all legitimate contenders right. they're not going to be able to hang and I think that's that's a difficult thing you know going all the way back to 2012 2013 this has been a division where you're going to have at least two if not three teams to battle with and this year there's four teams ahead of them what I find interesting is suddenly out of nowhere Major League Baseball is talking about expanding I mean like in the last 24 hours from 10 to 16 postseason teams yeah, and I don't know if they're going to be able to – I mean, as far as I understand it, they've got to get that agreed to by first pitch tonight uh, between the Yankees and the Nats. Uh, I don't know if once the season actually begins they can make that alteration. Um, if they can get it done, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see expanded playoffs. Uh, I, I think combine the 60-game sprint with putting half the teams in Major League Baseball into some sort of playoff format uh, and, and you know, hopefully getting it all done safely – by Halloween, if they can pull that off, my gosh, give it to me. Yes, um, high stakes baseball as much high stakes baseball as you can give us, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. And that's what the sixty game sprint. And then if you add even more playoff teams into the mix, it's exactly what it would be. And uh, I think what we're seeing, with the exception of extra innings, okay, the extra inning thing is just for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what we're seeing is a blueprint for what they want to do in the future with the game: expanded oh, playoffs, yeah. DH. And so, would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, we may get to uh, some sort of geographic realignment uh, in the next uh, CBA as well. That's you know, there, there may be something learned about travel in a 162-game mm. season on a 60-game scale. Um, you know, these players, you know, I, I've, I've my next-door neighbor is actually um, – his nephew is Dan Altavilla, who plays for the Mariners. So yeah. we've talked to him before about uh, the amount of travel the Mariners do. They're an extreme example, but every team would like to travel less, even the Yankees and yeah. Mets and Nationals and Phillies of the world. Um, and I think if you, if baseball is not far off from from going to some sort of geographic realignment that that does away with the designations of American League and National League, maybe. And I agree. I think the extra inning, uh, the runner on second role, is not going to be is not going to come into play permanently after this year. I could see it. You know, maybe it's an extreme situation. You get to the fifteenth inning, and it, and it becomes something that gets put into place. But sure. I think that that's you know, it, with all these things that are happening, this is why it's a, it's a great year to try so many different things. Uh, and I think that it, that expanding the playoff field. Uh, is part of experimenting for baseball. And they can experiment with as much as they want in a 60-game sprint, uh, except for, for putting digital fans in the stands. I don't get that part. That That's not I, – uh, I can't buy into that one, Steve. <laughs> the the, the piped-in crowd noise at the ballpark, just a little bit of it, I could handle. Uh, it wasn't too terrible. I thought they did a good job with it at PNC Park in particular the other night. But yeah. – did uh, computer animated fans in the stands? Uh, I don't know. It was interesting when it comes to uh, uh, just a final comment. Then I'll let you go, Chris. Uh, when they first put the rule in about runner on second, they've done it in the New York Penn League the last two years. Well, it turns out mm-hmm. opening night, two years ago, it happens. 
So now, of course, I have to explain, okay, the person who made the last out in the previous innings on second, right? Right. That happened here. Now, the way it worked was opening night was here, then the second night of the season was up at Williamsport. They just alternated. Okay. Okay. So they go up to Williamsport. And in that game, they are tied at the end of the night. And they <laughs> had to put the runner at second. And the fans down below the broadcast booth in Williamsport started chanting, that's not baseball. <laughs> That's not baseball. <laughs> you can hear it like, okay. Oh, <laughs> so uh, nobody will have to deal with that. There aren't any fans to chant it. All right, so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll pipe it in for our benefit, Steve. But I don't think Major League Baseball wants to do that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> just a thought, just a thought. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. It's always great talking with you. Oh, always great to catch up, Steve. Thanks so much. I'll talk again to you, to you soon. Chris Mack in Pittsburgh. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mirth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. All right, great to have you with us on the show today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Mike Golick Jr. is going to join us in the next half hour. Looking forward to that. We have a lot of... Washington Football Club gear to give away that says Washington Football Club on it. How valuable is it? No? But we have the Seattle Kraken. You heard what they're going to do at the arena, right? No. They're going to make the ice out of rainwater that's off the roof. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. I can see that. They're going to run off the rainwater, and that's how they're going to make the ice. 